But Jane needs a man to know that without being told. You mean to talk? Dan is a pimp. He never could have outfought Santino. But I didn't know until this day that it was Pacini all along. We're going to use that instructive moment to better understand what is going on with Silver in the BRICS part of the world. Before we get to the main event, let's start with the week's news and a comment on market behavior. The other news, now we get into the uh, Mexican Newmont situation. The other news surrounding silver is, uh, well, there's other news out there, but the other news I think that's silver specific is the premiums between Shanghai and Comex remain elevated and pronounced. And uh, a quick comment on that. I, I have some screenshots for you on that, but I'm not gonna put them up right now. There's, there's, I don't want to dilute everything here. Um, but let me just say this about that. We are witnessing uh, the transfer of wealth from the West to the East in real time now. Now, does that mean that we're all gonna be poor? No, it means if you're not careful, uh, you will have your pocket picked uh, by the East. India did it, uh, and now you know China's doing it. Now China's been doing it. This has been going on for years. But now it's visible. Now you can see it. Now it's being marketed. So supply moves towards demand in commodities, especially precious metals, especially. Now, for the conspiracy buffs, of which I happen to be one, who is facilitating the transfer of silver from the West to the East? Well, it's the bullion banks. How do I know? I know. How can you tell? How can you tell publicly that I'm not just pulling this out of my proverbial ass? Here's how. If you have access to metals analysis from the big banks, whether it be public or private, all you have to do is remove the ones who talk about silver, right? And that would be, uh, I'll give you some examples, Goldman Sachs, uh, Bank of America, and a couple others that talk about copper, right? Primarily. It's the ones that say nothing about silver or copper and very little about gold that you have to watch out for. Whoever that's left, that's who's dealing, who's definitely dealing with China on this. Now, other banks are as well, but I happen to uh, be pretty sure of one. Now, a couple of weeks ago, remember Jamie Dimon visited China? Well, that wasn't for noodles and dim sum. That was for business and a lot of business. And part of that business is satisfying China's voracious appetite for silver and the manufacture of solar panels. And I'm going to do more research on this and write it up next week. But speaking of China, let's look at the Newmont situation. So here we are. There's the business wire announcement on June 8th. Basically, that's a Newmont announcement, but it's truthful. Newmont Corporation announced today it has suspended operations at the company's uh, Penasquito, Penasquito, that's probably the right way to say it, mine in Mexico. Uh, while refuting claims by the National Union of Mine and Metal Workers of the Mexican Republic regarding violating legal regulations and labor agreements. The company urged the union to abide by the mutual agreement, mutually agreed collective bargaining agreement negotiated and signed by both parties in June of 22. So what is that all about? Uh, the miners uh, union, what was it called the union? The union uh, was guaranteed 10% of the profits. 
and they're now striking for 20%. After less than a year after a, um, after a deal was signed. This has big implications, okay? So apparently you can see uh, Penasquito uh, production comes in at around 30 million ounces. The shutdown is significant for several reasons. Some of these may be obvious, some of them may not be, but they're all correct. First, at the highest level, at the highest level, right? Big picture, which is why I'll loop China into this later on. At the highest level, the world is definitely moving towards what it feels are more equitable distributions of profits as evidence between the BRICS and G7. This is that concept manifest in real time. So what does that mean? It means that the BRICS are tired of being pushed around. This is not, I'm not taking their side, right? I'm certainly not anti-American. But the BRICS feel like all they are is part of the supply chain. Remember the supply chain? The supply chain is pull it out of the ground, put it on a ship, send it over here. It gets made. Not here, maybe Germany, somewhere else, but it gets made into something valuable. All right. That's a supply chain. The value chain is what they're worried about. We're worried about the supply chain. They're worried about the value chain. The value chain is raw material, semi-finished product, finished product. And what these countries are, specifically China um, and um, neighboring Eastern countries, uh, in the West and in Latin America, I'm not really sure about that. But these countries are saying, hey, all you guys do is come and take our uh, natural resources and then add value to them somewhere. You don't invest in the country. You don't live in the country. You don't share technology with the country. Ah, it's about technology, you see? So what we want you to do is if you want our lithium, you can't just export lithium powder anymore, lithium paste or whatever it is. You have to make the batteries here. I'm simplifying it, but this is how it works. You have to make the batteries here. You have to build the factory here. You have to share directly or indirectly how the batteries are made here. You have to let it all happen here because we want to be part of the value chain, not just the supply chain. And so the East has effectively gone on strike. And we've been through this before, but that's the, that's the concept. So what happens? Well, because of this first one at the highest level, all the nations which used to fight amongst each other right, are now looking at their common enemy, and that would be the West, specifically the United States. And so that's where the sanctions came in. That's where the, um, the heavy-handed confiscation of reserves of Russia came in, and they all said, you know what, this is not worth it anymore. So they've made deals with themselves. So at the highest level, when you have several nations are all unhappy with the boss, the boss in this case being the U.S. or Vito Corleone, uh, they're unhappy with him. They all want a better deal, but no one is, is confident enough in their partners or situation to step out and insist on one, right? And what happened two, three months ago? Ghana stepped out. Why did Ghana step out? Who's Ghana? I mean, it's a, it's a big country, mind you. It's also a big gold producer. Uh, but they're not a big player. Well, they're a front. They were enticed to do it by a bigger player because that bigger player is saying, we'll provide you with, uh, uh, we'll take the gold if you want to buy uh, fuel oil with it. Just to recall, Ghana said, we'll take fuel oil, you know, usable oil, diesel, 
uh, in return for gold directly. No dollars are needed. And so they had someone who wanted to do that. So that someone didn't come out and say, hi, we're going to do that. They made Ghana do it. So Ghana does it. And the pushback from U.S. is there is none. Now you move to Mexico. Now, Latin American countries are, even the capitalist ones, are very uh, socialist, and democracy, capitalist environment. So when you're talking about the workers and the union, you're talking about a wing of the government. You're talking about a big governmental influence back and forth there. So striking, again, we're still at the higher level. We're coming down to countries now. Striking in a Latin American country is the government saying, we're renegotiating. They gave them permission to strike. And then after that, there's going to be, this is a, this is a soft nationalization. You want to use our metal, you've got to pay us more. Start with the workers. We'll cut a deal behind the scenes. Either you do these things or you don't get access to the metal. We're soft. We're, it's a soft nationalization. Okay. So that brings us to the second bullet there. Second and more industry-focused countries are moving to nationalize natural resources as mercantilism takes hold to various degrees. Mercantilism, I talk about it all the time, but I use it as a catch-all now. Mercantilism basically means trade sanctions, uh, divisions, uh, restrictions, uh, re reduction in globalization. Right? One can see it in oil, metals, lithium and from Europe to China. Okay. Finally, and this is where it comes down to silver specifically and more tactically, while this strike may not work, it only entices others to follow suit, especially in countries nationalizing and negotiating with the G7 for better deals in general, which, by the way, that includes everyone in the BRICS. Everyone in the BRICS, the whole BRICS deal, whether it succeeds or not, is irrelevant. It's if it succeeds, the West is screwed. If it doesn't succeed, it's because the West gave in. It's a big negotiation for trade. Okay, so focusing on silver, Mexico is saying we've got silver. You want silver? Uh, your companies are coming here and taking silver out of our ground. That's no longer the case. Now, you know, they could say we want solar panels made in in. Uh, 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 in Mexico, but they're not, you know, that's probably because of their, their relationship with China. They're just basically saying, pay us more money. So Mexico wants more money, you know, uh, and, and China wants access to proprietary information. So what do you want out of it from our metal? And that's what each country, you know, what do you want? I want more, I want more cashews. You know, that's, that's what you're negotiating with. Okay. So what's going to happen? The cost of production will go up if the country lets you have it. These costs will be passed through to the West as true price discovery takes hold. Now, what do I mean by that? Because of the dollar's dominance, and because of those few banks that are able to cross internationally, the price of things here is lower than the price of things there. That's how it works. That's market structure. And as the BRICS unite and say, we want more money, that's what they want. They want more money. And they're either going to get it by destroying the dollar, which is kind of doing it to itself, or they're going to say, I want my unions to be paid more. I want factories to be built here. Uh, you know, I want access to your technology. I want donations. I mean, this is how you do it. 
This is how you do it. This is how you renegotiate global deals. And that's what's going on right now. So, which brings us to uh, Newmont and Mexico and China. I'll give you a couple points of reference, right? They want to be part of the value chain. All these countries do. Ghana successfully negotiates with Newmont for gold sales to be directly to the government. Now, you think Ghana has the balls to do that? No, Ghana's Tatalia. Martini put them up to it. Martini, in this case, could be Russia. Maybe Russia is giving their fuel oil to them. Hard to say, right? All right, now, March 24th of this year, Mexico has not made a formal application to join BRICS as of yet, but they pretty much have done it. They pretty much said, we want to be part of it. And you have to look at that as another negotiation. Maybe they're not going to formally join. That would be too embarrassing to buy them. But they're, they're negotiating. Like, we want the U.S. to recut whatever it is, NAFTA, whatever the deal is now. They want that recut. They want to be a bigger, they want to be paid more cash, right? Or be a bigger part of the value chain. Now, China wants to be part of the value chain. Okay. So, but that, it, the point is it doesn't matter. Now, the cost of production will go up. So there you have it. I'll give you a little historical perspective. When I started trading was in the mid-90s. And on occasion, there were strikes in South Africa. And it was the whole apartheid thing. And when there was a strike in South Africa, gold would spike. You know, and I was new. And I was mostly, I was in silver and gold at the time, but gold would behave more because of South Africa. But both would rally. And I'd say, oh, you know, I was very new. And I was like, you know, oh, look at that. There's a strike. They can't get the gold from here to there. There's demand for it. It's a problem. And the, the older guys would say to me, don't worry about it. And I go, why? He goes, because, and they would say to me, because they're going to find gold to lease out. Key, they're going to find gold to lease out. Because gold isn't consumed, he said to me. They'll just find someone else's gold and borrow it until the strike is over. And I said, well, I was in silver. What about silver? He goes, well, if this happened in silver, it's not something you can just lend easily. I mean, you can, there's plenty of it up there, but it's not something you can lend when there's industrial demand. There's industrial demand, it needs to be used, kind of like oil. So a silver strike is more beneficial to price than a gold strike. And then, you know, of course, I'm sucking this guy's brain dry. And I say, well, well, you know, how does this work? He goes, well, first of all, the unions don't matter. The strikes don't matter since the, uh, the Reagan, when Reagan broke, broke the air traffic controllers. All union negotiations are weak. And during the apartheid stuff, uh, the South African unions were weakening as well. He said, but he said, but at the beginning of the cycle, when this all started in, you know, the 80s uh, or the 70s, when you had a strike, prices went to the moon. You know, I mean, you couldn't trade it as, as liquidly as you can. Then he goes, but prices went to the moon because this was the beginning of a change in perception. Redistribution of well, more equitable distribution of profits. In the 70s, there was a move to be more equitable with distribution of profits. So companies got hurt. Employees did well. And in doing that, it wasn't about silver, but that cycle started in the 70s. And it wasn't until 88, 
mid-90s uh, when the unions were completely crushed. Now, you're having this cycle start again. Labor is asserting itself. But we're not talking about labor that's striking to build cars. We're not talking about labor that's striking uh, because uh, unfair to, you know, I don't know, uh, whales or something like that. We're talking about miners in countries that need the money. We're not talking about Americans who are trying to get another TV or tickets to a football game. We're talking about united miners working in countries that are united by other countries that are in the process of a global renegotiation with the US. What does that mean? That means this can be viewed as, oh, this strike is an exception. No, it's the beginning of a trend. Now, maybe you need to see three strikes to feel comfortable with that. I don't, because this is all part of the negotiation. There's going to be more strikes. There's going to be, and I don't just mean strikes by unions, I mean strikes by countries. You can't have our gold, Italy says. It stays here. You can't have our wheat. You can't have our, I mean, if Turkey wasn't a shit show right now, you can't have our pistachios. That's what they grow. They grow a lot of pistachios. You can't have whatever we make, you know? So that's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is the cost of production is going to go up. Are you looking for it to spike tomorrow? Then turn the TV off. Stop watching this stuff. I'm not here to tell you it's going up tomorrow. I'm here to tell you it's going to be double, triple, quadruple, quintuple value over the next five years. And I'm not promising you anything. I'm saying, I'm saying the real market for silver has changed. Not only is it a precious metal, but it's been reindustrialized. This is like the invention of film. They're going to be using a lot of silver for it. Anyway, so that's it. Who's Titalia? Mexico's Titalia. Who's Barzini? China. China's bankrolling the whole thing, whether it be directly because they're the buyers and consumers of things, whether it be because they're using the yuan because it's got a little bit bigger of a float and they're more trusting of it, or whether it's because they're using yuan because it's secured by gold and silver, indirectly by silver. Which brings me, by the way, to this. I'm working on this piece, uh, uh, for those of you that are subscribed. I think it's important to look at the lessons of history with silver. And so I'm looking at a piece uh, about the lessons of history with China and silver. I'm gonna write uh, a summary and analysis of it for my own education, and I'll share it with, with subscribers as well. Another story about silver, segueing. Uh, this is from 2020. Is silver the answer to solid state cells? Samsung thinks so. Why am I looking at that? I'm looking at that because if silver's jumping up in technology, let's see what's going on. You know, and and uh, although you know this is optimistic, I don't think they're there yet. But I do think that silver in solid state cells is something that they're looking at uh, uh, to, as a, as a solution to the lithium ion problem. Lithium ion batteries don't last long. Uh, anyway, that type of stuff. Let's pull up a chart. Let's do a little bit of a chart work here. Okay, there's the daily silver chart. For those of you that are technicians, before we go, I want to share this with you. See this area here? We'll say a lot of work was done in this area here, right? And then when it got above this area, it kind of zoomed. Then it ran into another area. Fine. We don't, we're not talking about that. We're talking about here. Now, when a market works in an area for a prolonged period of time and then rejects it, either way, it doesn't matter. When it gets back to that area, you should assume 
that there's a very high chance it will not work in that area again. It will reject it quickly, meaning there's been a lot of trading in here. It's stepped on, it's used, it's familiar territory. And so when it broached that area or breached that area in here, it ran to the top, not the very top, but the top in terms of bodies, right? All right. So now we were at the top and I believe I said to people, well, now we're at the edge of the next channel. So you wanna be long above the channel, you wanna be flat to short inside the channel, and then you wanna be short below the channel. So in the channel is now a quick moving dead zone. I want you to look at the channel as a patch of ice, right? When it gets in there, expect it goes from end to end because it's been worked over now. So what's silver down, 30, 40 cents today? Who cares? Right, do you need to sell tomorrow? Then you care. But this is, this is another, I mean, stackers have been saying this for decades. This is a gift. So on that note, I want to let you know that, you know, I bought a brick uh, a month ago and I'm in the market for another one. Now, I haven't put a bid in yet. I'm hoping, this is crazy, right? But I mean it. I'm hoping that silver goes below this channel. Why? Because China's buying. They're not going to stop buying until the arbitrage between Shanghai and Comex is gone. That silver is going to keep rolling east, rolling east. Why? because countries are going on strike in terms of their silver production. So I don't care what the price is. I know it's going to be higher. And that's the way it is. I'm Vince. This has been the Arcadia Economics Silver Fix. And uh, I wish you all a great day. And uh, as a service to Arcadia community, uh, Chris has again sponsored uh, its subscribers for two weeks free gold fix, no credit card needed. Just sign up. For the free version, uh, Chris and I will take care of the rest. So that's it. Have a great day.